When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, good. I recited Rod Harris. No, no, no. It actually isn't. It's me, Kerry Levy of The Chills, and someone who thinks he's good at impressions. You know Gary Hayes. Anyway... We're interrupting the normal Chels programming to bring you something very exciting. For the past few months, well, actually years, regular listeners of the Chels have heard Gary Hayes and me talking about a documentary series that we've been producing. We've been working on it for eight years, in fact. It's called The Blueprint and tells the story of how modern Chelsea changed football. We're telling the inside story from the inception of the Premier League right through to Munich 2012, when Chelsea were crowned European champions for the first time. And now we're ready to release it to the world for Chelsea fans and other football fans to hear, for them to learn and understand just how Chelsea did it all, how the club won it all. The full series is dropping in May this year, but we've kicked things off with a Ken Bates special. Our former owner doesn't do many interviews these days. Indeed, he doesn't do documentaries. But in spite of all that, he invited Gary and me to Monaco, where he sat down for over four hours and we heard his Chelsea story. It's fascinating, with Bates revealing all about how he saved the club from financial ruin, his strained relationship with Matthew Harding, the sacking of managers, his inspiration to form the Chelsea pitch owners... And of course, he takes us inside the deal that saw him sell the club to Roman Abramovich. What you're about to hear is the first 15 minutes of the Ken Bates special. The Ken Bates tapes. If you'd like to hear it in full, then just search The Blueprint, How Chelsea FC Changed Football, wherever you get your podcasts. We've also included the link in the episode notes. So here it is, Ken Bates, like you've never heard him before. Oh, and we've re-recorded a Chelsea classic as our theme song for The Blueprint, and it's performed by The Blueprinters. Cue the music.
Remember to search for The Blueprint, how Chelsea FC change football, wherever you get your podcasts. So Ken, just to get us started, to talk about the history of English football, where was English football in 1992 when the Premier League came to be? Football gradually grew, came to Football League, and it finished up with 92 members in four divisions. Originally it was League One, League Two, League Three North, League Three South. But when the, it became a bit more organised and had meetings, they said, no, if this is a national league, it's got to be a national league. So then you got three and four. Now what had happened was there was a lot of animosity between the FA and between the Football League. Have a power on this and that and the other. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I did in the end because I became a chairman of a few companies, committees, and uh, I was on the FA Council and on the FA Board. But it's also petty. But what you really have, what really changes is that you, by and large, you've got people who are in football or were because they love the game, starting with a local school team, church team, and it gradually evolved more and more. But they're all new little businessmen, by and large, that have been disrespectful, who gave their time part-time to run the, their club, but it was left to the manager and the secretary. But they were arguing with the FA, and the FA were not much better. So the FA came up with the idea that they would be clogged down and we were killing competing internationally that had just been invented. So they wanted their own league. So they approached the first division of the Football League and had surreptitious discussions at the top few, a bit like what's going on now. And to cut a long story short, in the end they agreed to break away. It was originally called the FA Premier League. And due course, when the Premier League started getting too big for its boots, they dropped the FA bit. And as you know, you've had several efforts led by David Dean and others to form the Super League. And I managed to kill both those off. Oh, Martin Edwards wanted to uh, negotiate own TV deal like they do in Europe. I remember saying to him, well, what about us? He said, you can do your own TV deal. And I said, uh, well, what about the gate money? He said, well, each home club keeps their own gate. I said, if you think I'm going to bring my Chelsea team up for nothing, you're bigger what's it than I think you are. I said, right, we will play you under your scheme and we'll come up and all my team will get dressed and change and sit in the dressing room and I will sit with them until your bank manager brings us a, bank dra- a Barclays bank draft for our half of the gate and the uh, television receipts and the programme sales. Dead silence. That was never discussed again. I would stack up the small clubs. Football is a pyramid. It's all about the little clubs at the bottom. When I took over Oldham, uh, it was a bit of a mess. I spent £50,000 in three weeks, which was a fortune in 1965. And we took a 16-year-old kid on the office, boy. And he had a call. He said, Chairman, he said, I've just had a call from the printer. Do you want your usual 2,000 season tickets printed separately in two batches? Well, Frank Buckley, who was the secretary and in charge of all that, had taken his holidays at a different time. So the printer didn't get the instructions that he should have got. I got the club secretary six months in jail. He printed these 2,000 tickets in parallel with the official 2,000 tickets and flogged them on the side. And I called the police and couldn't have ever heard it. The old establishment, old establishment manager, directors, 
were appalled and they all gave character references for him in his trial. That 16-year-old kid, named Bernard Halford, finished up being life president of Manchester City because he went to City, he was headhunted there, revolutionised it. When the Arabs bought the city, they said, he's staying. He used to do after-dinner speeches and he felt, apparently he told me, I didn't know, his favourite story was me. I got with a buckle, he said, I came in, chairman chucked the keys at me, he said, oh, you're in charge now. This is 17. You're in charge. He said to the head groundsman, hey, on, you're in charge of all the gates, turnstiles, that kind of thing. And said to, God, his name, no, dead. Simply said, if anybody had not got a ticket, they do not get in. If Jesus Christ comes in without a ticket, chuck him out. And that's how I've run all my business, it's all my club. So in, in 1992, when the Premier League was formed, could you just um, explain where Chelsea were and what the situation was with the club? No, everybody had their say, and I simply pointed out it had to be equal. 22, and we are equal. They said, oh, we want to cut it down to 20. I said, OK, well, Manchester United and Arsenal, why don't you leave? That was not the response they were expecting. Well, two stories about TV. First of all, I was responsible for smashing, with Robert Maxwell, smashing the illegal, criminal breach of the Monopoly Act and Commission. ITV and BBC did a deal and put a joint bid in for the TV rights and uh, split the difference and shared that equally. The uh, commercial committee, they're, they're dumb eggs. They were elected by football people of football people. Now it's run the other way. Places full of people who know nothing about football, but still. So uh, the commercial committee was basically, you vote for me and I'll vote for you and I'll point out. So Robert Maxwell and Irving, Irving Scholar, we formed a subcommittee. We used to meet at Bob's office, penthouse office, with sandwiches, champagne, to decide what should be, what should really be done, and then push it through if we could at the meeting. This particular one, we're coming on about this bloody monopoly. Now, by that time, don't forget, Maxwell was an MP and of a rather dominated character with a strong, piercing voice which tended to catch your attention. So he rang up the Attorney-General. He said, aren't you aware that a company wholly owned by the government are breaking their own laws? He said, what are you talking about? So he told him, look at that. Of course, consternation. Two months later, the so-called tender process was withdrawn. ITV got on the bandwagon, obviously unlimited. I think they were paying a stream in an ear between them. And I think ITV, was it Greg Dyke, who was a... He upped it to four million, which was a bloody disgrace. Sky had just started. Murdoch took over two disused warehouses and hangars in Isleworth to start this Sky Television. Oh, what was the other fellow's name who come to me? He used to run the TV, so who was his number two? Aussie boy, put the Sky deal through. Sam Chisholm, Sam Chisholm. Anyway, ITV kept the deal. I think they paid £11 million. Everybody went bloody apeshit. Chelsea never got a game live on TV because you used to get appearance money. They got live on TV until two months before the end of the contract when uh, Greg Dyke, we met in uh, the grill at the Savoy, and Greg Dyke said, oh, I think we just get them on, can't we? Yeah, of course we can. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, I've been negotiating with Sky. 
And again, cut long stories, by this time, modern Ogers, you know, like that. great man. We arranged to seal the deal, and it was arranged on, we'd meet on the Sunday morning in Murdoch's penthouse apartment overlooking St James's Park near the Ritz. I, I went out the farm door in Beckinfield where we lived, and I said to Susanna, who'd, who'd been in the business, and she was sports writer, you know, independent sports writer, didn't trust editors. Anyway, going out, I shouted out, I thought 20 million beat us, beat the 11. But I walked on impulse, I shouted out, I'm going to ask for 30. Turned around and walked towards my Bentley across the gravel. And a rather loud voice shouted, No, make it 50. And I went, oh. Walked, crunched across the gravel, got in the car door, started up, going down the drive. Nothing, I'd love 50. Bloody stupid. Ask for 50. Ask for 50. By the time I got to the drive, which was one and a half mile, the main road, one half mile down the drive, I was like, 50? 50? By the time I got to the Ritz, I stormed in. Velto, very gentle. Oh, nice to meet you, Miss Rodney. I said, We want 50 million. Stunned in silence. Because Murdoch was on the same situation as Maxwell, insolvency. So I remember Murdoch. He gulped and went white. And he said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can work a deal out and get up to that. I said, no, 50 a year, every year, starting now, for three years. There was a dead silence. Did you ever meet Sam Chisholm? Big, burly guy. He was the guy charged with implementing all this with... For Murdoch, wasn't he? He broke the deadly silence. Did the deal. And this was for the Premier League TV rights? Mm. So the deal was announced, blah, 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 blah. And about three weeks after it was announced, they announced pay-for-view. Pay, what, what's that? I've got my licence. Yeah, but your licence went to the BBC. Anyway, this debate was taking place, and Susanna always interrupts at the most appropriate time. She said, what are they moaning about? There's a million guys... Every Saturday, whatever the weather, put their raincoat, get their umbrella, walk out, and they go to the grounds. And they buy a ticket and go through a turnstile. Well, isn't that pay for view? Which is perfectly true. So the argument against pay for view collapsed dramatically. What was your ambition for Chelsea at this point? Because um, when you took over, there was so much you did in the 80s to stabilise the club. And as we came into the 90s... Um, Bobby Campbell got the team promoted again in 89 and then 89-90, the club finished fifth, had a really good season. If it wasn't for the, the ban with European teams, Chelsea had been back in Europe. The team was gradually moving forward and it was this, this new dawn, the Premier League. What, what was going on behind the scenes with you at Chelsea in terms of what you were trying to do to make no, Chelsea... I was just trying to do the same with Chelsea that every other chairman was trying to do their club. I mean, Chelsea had always been the poor relations of London. The big poor relations of London. You know how Chelsea started? Well, how it was formed? Hmm. Across the street, 10th of March, 1905. No, the circumstances surrounding the occasion. Mears was a big family company. They used to be big Ford main contractors, Mears, near Kingston. And they had another mother business as well. It was a little family empire. But the big thing was Mears Brothers Contractors. 
and they're very big sand and gravel merchants and, con- and builders and constructors. And to need a big builder that thorough, you needed to make concrete. It's a bit obvious now, isn't it? But so you'd sand, gravel, and um, cement. Forget the niceties of reinforcement, that kind of stuff. Sophistication. And so Mears Brothers owned a ballast pit, one of the biggest in London. It was a place called Fulham Road. They had the biggest bloody ballast pit in London. And it stretched from there, over either side of Fulham Road, it stretched all the way up to where Old Court Station is now. And, of course, when they put the railway line in, that was an old ballast pit. And because it was all near the river, Thames, it was all part of the River Thames estuary, which goes right down to the sea, goes up past Oxford. So it was a whole gravel pit area, if you know what I mean. What you do with a gravel pit? Good place to put the rubbish. Right, we've taken the sand out, flogged it, made a fortune. But what we knew with it? Hey, Fulham's on the river. Poxy little ground, as it was then. Wonder if they'd like to... Uh, a thousand pound a year rent. And the then Fulham owner said, told her, go forth and multiply. Told me, brother said, I'll perform my own. And that's how Chelsea Football Club, Chelsea Football and Athletic Company Limited, was formed. And that was 1905, and the Football League was looking to grow, so they invited applications. I think they put in a good application, you know, look where we are, look this, look that, look the other side. They're winning, they're kicking a ball. Just as I did at St. Melitus. <laughs> 50 odd years earlier. Bates leads, others follow. <laughs> in 1992, there was a big challenge that had been going on since you bought Chelsea, and it's to do with the, the freehold of the stadium. Well, what had happened? I mean, Chelsea was skint. It was literally 24 hours from going bust. The circumstances were they just played Tottenham in the Cup. In those days, it was one-third the home team, one-third the away team, one-third into the pot for distribution of gate receipts. And on Thursday afternoon or Friday, the bank manager had enough and he rang up, uh, he said, I've got two cheques in me, in tray, 40-odd thousand each, one for the players' wages, one for the FA, which one shall I bounce? And Martin Spencer said, bounce the players' wages because if we bounce the FA one, this was before I was there. Bounce the FA one, we'd be finished. So they did. They'd been negotiating, trying to find a buyer, and I, I came in as the only buyer. They wanted £300,000 that day. So we met on the Friday in the, their lawyers' offices. We're haggling over this and haggling over that, haggling over the other. There were David Mears, Brian Mears and Lord Chelsea, who is now the Earl of Cadogan, who were not forthcoming with much money as were not the landed gentry in those days. I mean, David Mears, can I keep me Volvo? Can I keep me 12,000 years? Can I keep the two tickets in the director's box for my auntie, my mother-in-law? And he was dragging out. If I said, look, he said, we can't finish this tonight. Boy, put your 3,000, 300,000 in now. We'll finalise it next week. What's that great phrase? I know it might be stupid, but I'm not that stupid. I said, Mr Mears... If you think I'm going to put £300,000 unsecured into your bank account and your control to the man who's got the club in this state, you might wish to bleep the next bit. I say, you must be a bigger c***, I think you are.
If you've enjoyed the first part of this Ken Bates interview and want to hear the rest as well as the series, remember to search for The Blueprint, How Chelsea FC Change Football, wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.